Why don't you want him to have a dog? I already told you. He's a little boy, and a dog is a big responsibility. No, he's not a baby. He's a responsible boy who needs a friend. And what happens when he becomes attached to that dog? Learns to love it. I thought that was the general idea. Ellen, dogs die, they get sick, they run away from home, they get hit by cars. There's just a heartbreak waiting to happen. Will, he, he's not ready for that. He's, he's, he's frail, he's sensitive, and he can't handle it. How do you know what he can handle? You don't give him a chance. I know all about loss. Experience more than my fair share. But it's hard enough for an adult. Boy, I shouldn't have to. So you're going to shelter him from life, hmm? For how long? He keeps the dog for two weeks. If there's a problem, I'll take it to the farm myself. Jack, Will deserves this chance. He needs it. Okay? Wait, I... I haven't agreed to that. I'm not asking. Just a trembling ball of fur, scared and shy as I was. That night, lying in bed before sleep, I felt the beating of his heart against my body. And though I didn't know it then, he was to change my life forever. My dog Skip, my best and most steadfast friend. Good morning, Hope. I'm Emily, your Minister of Children and Students here at Hope Ankeny. And after watching that clip, I would imagine you're probably thinking about a dog that you have loved, right? I warned my daughters. They, went, they were heading, they were really little, and they were heading to Marley and me with Grandma. And I said, you got to know this about dog movies. It's all about math. People live 90 years. Dogs live 10 years. Do the math. You know where every dog movie is headed. And if you have had the joy of a dog in your life, you probably already know this, right? This is, uh, this is our family dog that my kids grew up with, Naboo. She was just a treasure. This is a pretty old picture. My girls are grown now, but they would do things like play dress up, and Naboo was just this gentle, easygoing terrier chihuahua mix, which... I know Chihuahua Terrier, you don't always think easygoing, but she totally was. She would let them dress her up, they'd carry her around, play with her, and um, she was just really, really special to us. And my youngest daughter 
Well, she actually never knew our family without Naboo because we had Naboo before she was born. So we had her for about 12 years, and you know how it is with dogs. She got old, and it was time for us to let her go. And we decided we were going to bury Naboo under this oak tree that we have in our yard. Um, it's this beautiful, huge, gorgeous oak tree on the top of a hill. We were like, this is the perfect spot. We'll bury Naboo. And then we'll plant a lily on top of her grave so that we will always have a flower there to remind us of our beloved pup. And we were all bawling. We were all crying. But Estelle was just unconsolable. She was just snot and tears and choking. And so we're, we're putting the, the dirt on Naboo's grave. And Estelle leans in and through all of her tears and sobs, she chokes, Naboo, please haunt us. <laughs> because of course she wanted to know that the end was not the end. And we all want to know that. It's not just about pets. So I'm here to preach to you today about our resurrection hope. And that's an awesome thing to talk about. But the fact is, we can't get to resurrection without going through death. And I don't want to make the ride home a complicated conversation with your kids, but it's just this reality that we have to figure out how to deal with, that this life that we know will not go on forever. And when you're thinking about how you handle these things of life and death, there's a question I want you to ask yourself. What am I hoping for? What are you hoping for? Because, next slide, what we hope for shapes how we live. It matters what you think is going to happen in forever because it changes how you act in your daily life. What we hope for shapes how we live, so it's important to think about what are we hoping for. And there are some different ideas people have about how to deal with the fact that life is temporary. One of them, well, the dad in that clip, he kind of shared it. If you hope to avoid ever experiencing grief and loss, then it will shape your life and that you will avoid ever getting attached or loving anything. And you might know some people who are like that. We also see this as a recurring stereotype in Hallmark movies, right? That curmudgeon grumpy, cold person who accidentally falls in love. Because what we really know is that the life that you will live if you hope to never get hurt is one that is cold and joyless. You're going to miss out on the best parts of life if that's what you're hoping for. There are also people who ha handle this by hoping for nothing. They just say, I don't even want to think about what's after that. I hope for nothing. The end is the end. And so while I'm here, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we may die. And you know, probably the most ancient person we know of who said that is in the Bible, King Solomon in Ecclesiastes. King Solomon was the wisest person to ever live, like biblical proportions. He actually was given wisdom as a gift from God. 
And he inherited the kingdom of Israel from his father, David. He ruled over it in its heyday, which means that Solomon had everything he could ever dream of at his fingertips. And he, through his wisdom, came to realize that that was still not enough. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a, result, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Solomon realized, because he had everything, that everything you can have in this earthly life will not amount to anything. It cannot protect you from death and loss. The things that really matter are beyond our control. But Solomon also had hope because he knew that there was a God who did have control over those things. So he says in chapter 3, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. That's something that God has put in us. He has planted eternity in our hearts. Somehow we know that this earthly life is not all there is. That there is something more and it matters. And yet, all we actually have to go by, what we experience, are the things of this earthly life. So what do we hope for? Well, for Solomon, he knew that God could give him hope beyond grief and loss. He knew that you couldn't escape grief and loss, but he knew that there was a God who could see, who could see the whole picture that we couldn't see. We, well, we have something way better than anything that Solomon had because we have the promise of Jesus Christ. We have an explicit promise about what is going to happen for our eternity, forever with God. And this is a promise that God gave to the Thessalonians through the Apostle Paul. So this Thessalonian church that Paul was writing to was in grief. He had been there. He had taught them about the good news, and they had embraced that good news. They believed in the death and the resurrection, and they even trusted that Jesus was going to come again. And Paul talks about this Thessalonian church with a kind of affection that he never uses for any of the other churches he planted. Because this community, when they embraced faith, it led them to love each other inordinately. They became so connected and so bonded that when Paul writes about this church, he says that they had an affection like family for each other. 
in chapter 2, he says, we were like a mother. That's the apostles, how they felt toward this church. We were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. They were bonded. And this baby church, with this faith that they had gotten from him, was growing and loving each other so much. But Paul knew that he had not shared with them everything that they needed to know. He longed to go back and visit them again. He actually started hearing these rumors about persecution, that the Thessalonian church was enduring hard times and yet still standing firm in their faith. So when he couldn't get back to visit them, he sent his colleague Timothy to go check up on them. And in this letter, he tells them what Timothy reported to him. But now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. That's why this church, Paul refers to them as his pride and joy. Because they have a faith so strong that it can withstand persecution. And their love, their love is legendary. He writes about it in chapter 4. But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other. For God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. This church had so much love that it was expansive. That it was reaching and impacting people throughout their region. And when we stop and think about it, isn't that what God's love is all about in us? When we are inspired with the love of God, we care about each other in a way that, that multiplies, that grows, that reaches out, that has no borders. That's the kind of love that the Thessalonian church had. Now, going back to my dog Skip, that little boy, Will, his mom, you heard, she was worried about him because all that kind of love and community that the Thessalonian church had, he doesn't have that. He's alone, and I guess this is like the Thessalonian church. He's bullied. And she wants him to have that love. So he's got two people who dearly love him, his mom and his dog, Skip. And they are willing to go beyond the borders to show him their love in ways that break down barriers. So take a look at what happens.
Kids, have you ever seen a dog drive a car? Me neither. That's just amazing, isn't it? This, this willingness that his mom and his dog have to just go beyond borders to show their love for him. Well, it's, it's like the love of the Thessalonian church. It gets people talking. And it starts breaking down barriers. And pretty soon, Will, the other kids, start inviting him to be a part of things. And he ends up not being so alone anymore. Isn't that the kind of love that we want the church to have? The kind of love that gets people talking? Paul realizes that there are three things that will last forever. He writes to the Corinthian church later about them. Faith, hope, and love. And this Thessalonian church has faith and love in spades. And it's impacting the world around them. But Paul also realizes that they have misunderstood some things about their hope. And he needs to help them shore up that hope. Because if they don't understand what they're hoping for, then it's going to eventually change how they live. Their faith and their love is going to suffer. And he wants them to continue living a lifestyle that glorifies God and draws others in, attracts others. So he needs to help them with their hope. Now, why was their hope suffering? Well, the Thessalonian church was in grief because they had believed and trusted that Jesus came and he died and he rose again. They believed that Jesus was coming back. But here's the thing. They didn't think Jesus was coming back someday. They thought Jesus was coming back now, like yesterday. So as this community grew and their love for one another became so tight-knit and started enduring this persecution, people passed away. And maybe even from the persecution. And they thought, if Jesus is coming back, and they're already dead, they're going to miss it. And they didn't want to meet Jesus unless their loved ones could be at the reunion too. So they were grieving. And Paul responds. He says in chapter 4, verse 13, Now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. We don't want to grieve like people who have no hope. That's the kind of grief that makes people crazy. If you think that you have this opportunity to enjoy this glorious reunion with God forever, and you think the people you love aren't going to be there, well, that just takes the shine off the whole thing, doesn't it? So Paul gives them this vision, and he tells them specifically in verse 15, we tell you this directly from the Lord. So he is giving us a promise that is directly from the Lord. This is not something that he imagined or made up. This is from God. And then he casts this vision that Jesus is going to come back, that he's going to come down from heaven, and all the believers The dead and the living are going to gather together, rise up, and meet Jesus. It's going to be this glorious reunion, this happy, joyful occasion where 
everyone is invited. And that is a powerful vision that can change how you live. And that vision is the key to who we are as a church. Specifically, it's a key to who we are as Lutheran Church of Hope. Yeah, that's no coincidence. And it's not just the selfish hope that I have, that when I die, that's not the end for me, although I am glad that I have that promise. But that, that's actually a mistake that people make sometimes. That's what they think church is all about. I have actually heard people say they were coming back to church after having been away for a while. And um, you probably, if you've only come to this church, you may not have experienced this. But in most churches across the country, if you come to worship, what you might notice is that half the people there are retirement age or beyond. So someone new to church comes and sits down and looks around and sees a bunch of older people and thinks, yep, I knew it. That's all that this is about. Church is where people come when they're getting older and they're afraid to die. So church can tell them, you're going to be okay. But you know what? That is not how it is. If that person had actually gone and talked to some of those older people in that congregation, if you sidle up and start a conversation with one of the older people that you see in our church, what you most likely will hear from them is that they have been faithful attenders and supporters of the faith community since they were newlyweds, since they were young. Because this resurrection faith, it's not just a promise for me for when I die. This is a promise for us, for how we're going to live and people who've been a part of church know that this is a community that comes together to love one another recklessly and to reach out with that love so that as many people as possible can join that redemption story. There is nothing that can give you a more abundant life than trusting the vision of our reunion forever with God. You can love people recklessly if you know that you will never lose them forever, that your loss will never be the end. That's what made the Thessalonian church such a powerhouse because they loved each other so much that they didn't want heaven if they couldn't have the whole gang there. And that is what we want we want this reunion to be the vision for our church. It actually is the vision for our church. This is our vision statement. Powered by the Spirit to bring Christ to all cultures, revive the world with God's love, and make heaven more crowded. This is what we exist for, church. This is who we are. This church exists for the sake of this vision, that this would be the biggest reunion you could ever imagine, that as many people as possible would be invited into the story of God's love. And when we believe that, when that is our hope, it shapes how we live. It gives us the, the courage 
to recklessly love one another and our community. Paul talks about the Thessalonian church this way. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. Isn't that what we want for our church? Don't we want the good news to ring out through our community? Hope Ankeny, that's where you can go and experience an outrageous love where people love one another and their community, where the word of God rings out. Paul tells them that they will win the respect of non-believers when they live into this vision, when they live as children of the light and the day, because what they hope for shapes how they live. And so he wants them to, to trust and know this hope so that that's how they can live. And that's what we hope for our church too, that this vision would empower us to live differently, to become that kind of community where people feel loved and hear the good news. And you know what? This is a great time to be the church together. We are starting a new season of ministry here, and we want everyone to be a part of it. We want to do this together. Pastor Scott is going to be back next week from his sabbatical. He's going to be preaching and leading and caring for us. That's great. He's going to have all these new ideas and inspiration that he's learned over his sabbatical for us. It's going to be amazing. And fall ministries are kicking off. Children and students and groups, there's all these exciting ways that we can all, we can all be to the church together. And you heard Ashley talk about Rally Weekend coming up. We anticipate that there will be crowds of people showing up here to hear about God's love and find out what it's all about. And we want to do this together. We want to reach out together. And you know what? That can be hard. In a church this size, we know that it can happen. You can show up and you can watch all of this unfold and go back to your car without having experienced any of it. You can see the people around you connecting with the worship music, raising their hands and swaying and experiencing God's love. You can notice the people around you hearing that God's love is for them, tearing up and connecting with each other. You can, you'll see them calling each other by name, sharing tissues and hugs and prayer requests. You can watch all of this happen. You can think, wow, that's an amazing church. And then... Never have it be part of you. Never let it soak in. And I know that you can do that because I know how it was when my family first started coming to Hope Ankeny. And that's exactly what I did for the first year or so that we were here. I had every excuse in the world for why we did it. We would drop our, our baby off at the nursery. My kids would grab some donuts and we'd sit in the back of the bleachers at Prairie Ridge, and we'd hear Pastor Scott talk about how God's love, the glorious love of the Lord, and then we would leave. It wasn't my church. I wasn't Lutheran. 
my church, I had attended for 18 years. I'd been on staff for 12 years at that church. And my church had never been able to get over the hump, no matter how hard I tried. So what use could I be at this church? How would I ever belong here? They had hundreds of people coming to worship every Sunday. They had a worship band that played music people loved to hear. They had children's and students' ministries that were strong and growing. I didn't belong here. So I held the church at arm's length for months until something changed. I got that nudge to join a team. And I, when I did, you know what I found out? They could use my help. They actually wanted it. Weird. And then my husband and I, we decided to take the plunge and join a group. And you know what we found? We found a bunch of other people who were also finding their place, their connection, and their belonging. And little by little, bit by bit, this became our church. And you know what? I'm even Lutheran now. Go figure. So I know, I know how it can be. And I know that some of you are there right now. So I want to ask you this. If you have been holding the church at arm's length, if you've been watching it happen, but not really feeling like you're a part of it, what can you do to drop your guard and let us love you? Let God love you through us. Imagine if you look around this room right now and what you see are all of these people who wouldn't want heaven if you weren't there. How can you step into receiving God's love through us and we need you because we need to hear God's love through you? And if you're not sure how to do that, you're probably not surprised to hear I have some ideas. I told you, we're expecting that there are going to be people showing up. They're going to be wanting to hear about God's love. And we want to rise to that occasion. We want all of us together to be a part of this. So one of the things we need on weekends, every single service, a Bible reader. Did you know you can sign up ahead of time to do this? And it's not hard. Uh, you could actually just walk up to the lectern and read what's on the sheet. It's right there. But if you sign up ahead of time, let us know. We can give you the reading ahead of time, and you can practice or, or know what you're going to say. Sometimes we have to pull people out of the congregation to read because no one has signed up. So if you pull out your phone and you scan this QR code right now, you could sign up, and you would be an answer to our prayers. And then this congregation will hear the word of the Lord in your voice. We need greeters for every service. We don't want people to get back to their car without someone having said to them how glad we are they're here. And greeters, they just point the way to the welcome center and the restrooms and let people know we're glad they're here. And don't even get me started about communion servers. You guys, at the church that I came from, communion was this complicated, stressful thing. It was kind of hard 
to serve communion. There were all these gilded plates, and when do you take the lid off, and when do you put it on, and when do you pass it, and stand up and sit down. And It was a lot. So the first time that I got to serve communion here at Hope, I couldn't believe it. It was so easy. I just, I just take the wafers, and I just give one to each person and say, the body of Christ given for you. How easy is that? And you know what? You don't even have to remember what to say because it's on the tag. You could just read it. And the thing of it is, when you serve communion here, here's what you know for every person that you give that wafer to or that dips their wafer in the cups that you are holding. They are receiving God's grace through you. What a miracle and you get to be a part of it. It's amazing. And if I'm talking about ways to get connected to this beloved community, let me tell you about my absolute favorite part of this community, the children and students teams. It's incredible to be a part of this group of people who love God and want to see the next generation grow in faith. And I know some of you probably stiffened up a little bit in the seat just thinking about it. Because I hear you, leading a group of middle schoolers through confirmation, that sounds intense. But you know what? For the ones who have taken the plunge, I want to tell you what I usually hear from them. Because it'll surprise you. This is what they say. I love it more than I ever imagined I would. And you make it so easy for us to show up and enjoy the night with our group. Over and over again, they tell me these things. They tell me how they love their group. They never thought that you could love teenagers that way. But they do. And they tell me how inspiring it is when they see these kids transform into men and women of faith before their eyes. And they get to say, I was a part of that. That is when we are the church. When we are loving God with our whole hearts and sharing it with the next generation, with people who don't know yet. That's what makes us the church. That's what makes us different because we have this resurrection hope that we can live in and live out of and share with others. And because you're the church, because you have this resurrection hope, I'm going to show you one more clip from my dog, Skip. And I am going to challenge you not to grieve like people who have no hope. Good luck. Check it out. The dog of your boyhood teaches you a great deal about friendship, love, and death. I was an only child. He was an only dog. Old Skip was 11 and feeble with arthritis. But he never lost that old devilish look in his eye. He made my room his own. I received a 
transatlantic call one day. Skip died, Daddy said. He and my mama wrapped him in my baseball jacket. They buried him out under our elm tree, they said. That wasn't totally true. For he really lay buried in my heart. The good news about dog movies is they usually end with puppies. So you have that. We're about to receive communion, and the worship team is going to lead us in singing this song called Hymn of Heaven. And we've been singing it for the last month or so around here, and there is this refrain that always gets to me every single time. It goes, And on that day we join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith, and with one voice a thousand generations sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And what gets to me, there are two things that always get to me. When we stand beside the heroes of our faith, it just tugs at my heart. Because immediately I imagine myself shoulder to shoulder with those who have gone before me in the faith. My grandparents, the people at my church who became like family to me, the people who told me about Jesus who convinced me that God's love was real and for me. It gets me every time. And then the part where it says, and with one voice, a thousand generations will sing together. Because it just immediately hits me. All of these students and kids that we've gotten the privilege of sharing that God's love is for them. And not just them, but all of the people down the line that they will tell, and then they will tell, and then they will tell. And all of a sudden, I'm just standing here in the middle of this, this reunion of believers, the ones that went before me and the ones that will come after me, that we all will be together celebrating God's great love for us. Church, I don't want to should on you, but I'm gonna, you should drop your guard. You should find a team, find a group, sign your kids up. Because we're not a perfect church. We're a bunch of sinners. But you know what? This is the place where you will come and you will learn about the faith, hope, and love that will last forever. It's God's gift to us that we get to share with one another. Come, be a part of this. God loved you so much that he would do anything to make you part of that big reunion, including sending his son to die on our behalf. And we celebrate that God has given us eternity when we take communion together. <laughs> 